Hey everyone, welcome to episode 111 of the Roto Sauce Podcast, formerly known as the 2QB Experience. My name is Greg, I'm your host, and today I'm going to talk relief pitchers in fantasy baseball with Mike Alexander. Mike does the closer rankings over at rasball.com. He also writes and podcasts for Friends with Fantasy Benefits. But first, I want to check in with you, Mike, on the great fantasy baseball invitational. You can follow along, listeners, hashtag TGFBI. There's also just at TGFBI for I don't know what you want to call it, tournament, the entire events, uh, you know, kind of presence on Twitter, uh, put together by Justin Mason. We've talked about him, you know, on this show before. He runs the Barf League that I'm in with a bunch of other analysts. If you want to find out more about the leagues or the format, check out TGFBI.com. I'm in league number two. Mike is in league number four. Mike, first of all, I want to talk to you about KDS or Kentucky Kentucky Derby style draft slot preferences. Before the draft order is released, you submit the rankings of which pick you want. So if your name comes out of the hat first, you don't necessarily get first pick. You get your top choice of picks, and it goes on down the line. Anyway, this is all about where you want to draft in the draft order. And in these 15-team fantasy baseball leagues, there's a lot of strategy involved in that, right? Because there are a lot of picks between the turns, and we talked about this on Twitter, Mike. Like This is uh, something you and I disagree on, but... Tell me where you ended up and why you took the strategy you did with KDS. Yeah, so I, you know, I really wanted to be in the middle, the, the seven or eight range. I was pretty comfortable uh, getting one of the three guys, Trey Turner, Ronald Acuna, or Kristen Yelich. They all give you a little bit of power, a little bit of speed, or a lot of speed in, in Trey Turner's case, uh, and, and, and good counting stats all along. So uh, last year in TGFBI, I was at the one pick. It was great to get Mike Trout, and then my draft just fell apart from there. Uh, none of the people I expected to make it back to me were, were making it, and you know it was just a, a struggle for me. Maybe it was just the first time I was in an expert league of this magnitude, but you know, I really wanted to be in the middle to be able to, to create a more balanced team. So eight was my first choice, and I actually did get the first choice in the league, um, and, and uh, went went and got eight. That's pretty awesome. That I and I wonder how many people, if any, in your league would have even had that on their radar. Um, I mean, I imagine most people had number one ranked number one. I think two was the most popular. They, they're happy to take Trout or Betts and, and let the person ahead of them decide. Yeah. See, I'm I'm the type of drafter who well well first of all I like drafting near the turn. I like being able to complement my picks together as much as possible, uh, and I like. The fact that when I'm waiting a long time, I get to see all those other teams make two picks in a row and kind of gauge a little bit better what the room is trying to do, which helps me inform my own, you know, stack together picks. So that's why I like drafting on one end or the other. But just in general, fantasy baseball, fantasy football, whatever, like I want to be as close to the top of the draft order as possible because, and this is one of the the biggest flaws I think I saw a lot of people dealing with this KDS strategy on Twitter was talking about like, oh, I I like this spot in the draft because in the second round, I'm going to definitely get this player, this player, this player. And I just think mm-hmm. that's short-sighted. Like if you're only doing your KDS rankings based upon the first two rounds, you're, right. you're not really factoring in, well, what about that agency you get in the third round and every other even-numbered round, or excuse me, odd-numbered round, if you're drafting at the top? Like, yes, if you get the first pick, you get Mike Trout, and then you have to wait a hell of a long time to get your first pick in the second round. But you also get your first choice in the third round. Like, you get to stack those together. You get to kind of double dip a little bit. And that's generally what I like to do in drafts. So I my 
KDS preferences, I think were one, two, three, four, and then 15, 14, 13, 12. Like I just really simple, really kind of stripped down. Like I probably should have thought longer about it, but I just knew <laughs> that I wanted to draft by one of the turns. And so that's kind of where I ended up. Yeah, with it being the first year on the NFBC platform, there were plenty of people who were kind of like, uh, you know, I, I, I like said it the day that it was out and uh, I didn't really think about it again. I got some weird stuff or I didn't get, you know, I, I really ranked something wrong. Um, so it's something to pay attention to. But yeah, I'm usually with you. I like the turns. Uh, just in in a, in a league with this many people who are who are sharp and tuned in, um, I wanted to see you know what it was like in the middle. Uh, so I'm enjoying it so far. I've got a really balanced team, uh, and I'm actually up to make a pick here. Uh, I got an uh, interesting decision t- to make. So let's run through your roster. You started off with Ronald Acuna, then you picked Manny Machado, which I can't believe you got him that late. Yeah, uh, Anthony Rizzo, third round. That's the same round I took him. I took him earlier than you did, obviously, because I have a fourth pick. Then you mm-hmm. you paid up for catcher. You got JT Realmuto, and then Jameson Tyon, Eddie Rosario, who I also just picked, and uh, Madison Bumgarner. You're buying a little bit of a background, or at least you're you're taking the discount on Mad Bum. Now you're up yeah. in the eighth round, and what are you thinking about here? Because, like you said, you've got a pretty balanced team. You don't have a closer yet, and it seems like the closers are starting to run in this particular draft. Mm-hmm. What else? What else are you considering here? The, the closer runs for for anybody. You know, this will be out tomorrow i assume and uh anybody listening that's in tgfbi our our league is one of the faster ones so you may be able to benefit here the closer runs have been rounds seven eight where uh, nfbc adp is like rounds five six uh so just something to keep in mind if you're if you're getting itchy on a guy like um you know uh, chris towers jumped on on roberto asuna and, and he probably could have got him around later that's yeah that's i actually took asuna in the seventh of my draft so yeah i think you're right about that but yeah so uh, you know I, I had a third baseman penciled in here either justin turner or will myers and they both went uh jesus aguilar has fallen to me um you know and he's the guy i'm leaning towards i, I am pretty thin on pitching but I don't see anybody here on the board. My, my main debate is should I stick to third base and, and consider Matt Chapman, who uh, is a darling to certain circles, but I'm not a big Chapman guy. What do you think about those two? Yeah, I'm not a big Chapman guy either, and that's mostly because I tend to prioritize batting average uh, above a lot of other categories. Like, I definitely want the counting stats, but, you know, I, I feel like you're still early enough in the draft where you can try to avoid players with glaring warts like that. Um, yeah. And so I, I would not – I'm not really a Chapman guy in general, so like maybe I'm the wrong person to ask. Uh, but <laughs> I don't know. I mean, do you think he fits your team construction? Because that's the real question we got to ask here is not do right. do you like Matt Chapman. It's does Matt Chapman make sense relative to the other players you've drafted here? Because you have Machado. You have Anthony Rizzo. Those guys, you have Real Muto. Those guys are all going to protect your batting average to some extent at their respective positions. So maybe you can afford to take the hit with a guy like Chapman. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, and I'm doing great in the hitting categories, obviously. And uh, I've got the benefits since I'm with Razball. Uh, Rudy Gamble hooked us up with his uh, his you know uh, his draft room sheet where uh, you know you can get this uh, if you subscribe for, through Razball, and it, it puts a dollar value on people. It's really helpful. Um, so right now I'm, I'm pretty much where I need to be with average the rest of the draft. I, I probably, you know, unless I take like D Gordon and Billy Hamilton, I probably can't screw up my average. <laughs> um, so I could afford that, but you know, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not a Chapman guy either. Um, but the, the value on Aguilar is, is really what I'm, I'm drawn to here. I'm a believer in him more than most. So getting him at a discount is, uh, is where I think I'm going to go. 
Yeah, I'm surprised he's still available for you in this spot. He went at the 6-7 turn in my draft. So I th- yeah. think you're getting a pretty nice value there, regardless of w- what you think of him. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I have him ranked in the 90s, and to get him at 113 in a league like this, if if he hits 35 home runs again uh, w- with a similar average, you know, he may not hit 274 again, but if, if he can be in the 260s, the high 260s, that's uh, that's gravy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, th- I think that's a fine pick. Like I said, the, the value is definitely there. So I, I can't complain about that or, or judge you for that. I think that's half the battle when you're playing against people who are as smart as the folks in these industry leagues. Just trying to you know find those discounts where you can because you're really not going to get that many. Like these are sharp drafters and they're going to spend draft capital appropriately. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, I've actually, you know, uh, on on Smata's ADP sheet, uh, if you haven't seen it yet, you can you can check it out. Uh, look up Matt Adams on Twitter and um you know, he he has a formula for the earned, you know, ADP value. I've got some solid ones, especially with Machado at the top there falling, but uh pretty much every round I feel like I've gotten a decent amount of value um and and that's one of the benefits of being in the middle like we talked about. Let's talk about that Rizzo pick because he's another guy I mean, I mentioned this earlier, we both drafted him in the third round. I paid a little bit higher of a price, but even where I got him, I felt like I was getting a pretty smoking deal. Why are people out on him this year? Like, when I look at his projections versus those of, say, Freddie Freeman or Paul Goldschmidt, I, I don't get the disconnect between their draft prices. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a Cub thing overall. You know, for me, the debate was Carrasco versus Rizzo. Carrasco was Same. really... The only SP1 left, you know, unless you consider Bueller an SP1. But uh, I was hoping to land uh, Severino there, but he went two picks ahead. Um, so, you know, Rizzo just was – he fits what I, I wanted to do this draft so well. You know, he gives you a little bit of everything. He doesn't steal as many bases probably as he did, you know, three years ago. But he gives you some steals, really good average. And, you know, first base is not a fun position to, to roster late in a draft. I had a couple mocks where I was stuck at, at first base and corner infield, and you're just scrambling. So uh, don't have that problem in this one. Yeah, I think for me, the sweet spots are Rizzo in the third, and I like Jose Abreu and Joey Votto in that like late fourth, early fifth range yeah. if they're going there. Uh, but after that, it does drop off. I mean, you got Jesus Aguilar in the eighth round, which again is is a nice spot to get him. But th- there is some risk there. You know, we haven't seen him put up that sort of profile over a long right. period of time. Right. I'm, yeah, I, I just I agree with you. I think that first base is a little dicey after you know a certain point, and Rizzo in particular is one who stands out to me as a guy who we can lock in for ninety plus runs, yeah. ninety plus RBI, close to thirty homers, you know, five to ten steals, and a two eighty average, like. What's not to like about that? That's the perfect early round pick. It's just super balanced. It fills a position, as we've talked about, that's kind of difficult at times. I, I just, I don't get it. Like, I think that he should be a second rounder, but he's going yeah. in the third. I don't, it's it's flabbergasting. Yeah, I think, like I said, that, that Cubs team underwhelmed and, and disappointed so many people last year. I, I think you're going to get a lot of uh, Chicago Cub values this season, especially pitching staff, if you're willing to gamble a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And they yeah, they have a lot of guys who are kind of poised for bounce backs. I mean, even Chris Bryant going as late as he is in the mid-second round, I think that that seems a little low to me for a guy who has a 39-homer season on his resume. The pedigree is definitely there with Bryant. Um, and like you said, the pitchers too, like you Darvish, if he can stay healthy. I, I think John Lester is... It's just ageism at this point. He's just like, people are so tired of drafting him that he's just sliding down draft boards. And I don't love John Lester, but I, th- I mean, I think where he's going is probably a value. And he gets you a lot of innings, too, and that, that can't be underrated. 
Yeah, no doubt. Um, so tell me a little bit more about your experience in the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational here, Mike. Like, any big surprises for you? Anything else in your particular draft or other drafts stand out? Uh, we talked about this yesterday on, on the pod we did. Uh, somebody uh, grabbed Chris Sale at five. That was a little bit interesting. Um, uh, your first round pick, Trey Turner, you know, is a guy that in most ADPs is you know middle of the first round. Um, he was pretty solidly three, four, five. Uh, people really wanted to get set up for that speed. Um, I think that was a fairly big surprise that uh, I didn't see being as consistent as it was. That was actually one of the reasons why I wanted to be in the top four was because I felt like I could very easily guarantee myself that I was going to get Turner if I had three or four. And mm-hmm. on the off chance that, you know, I got fourth pick, which I did, and somebody at three took Turner, then I would have felt okay, you know, making an audible to either Jose Ramirez or Ronald Acuna. I, and I probably would have taken Acuna, to be honest. I'm a little out on Ramirez. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I think in a format like this, I'd rather play for the upside that Acuna represents um, yeah. and try to differentiate a little bit like that. Like, I think there is value to, you know, having, you know, the th- like everybody who has the first pick or the second pick in these leagues probably ended up with Trouter bets. And so yeah. it's more likely that those teams are going to have similar roster constructions as the draft plays out because everybody's drafting from the same general ADP and projections. And, you know, the players available are, are going to be different from league to league, but the the types of teams you end up from, with from the first spot are going to be similar, you know, from league to league and from the second spot and so on. If I'm spending the third pick on Trey Turner or Ronald Acuna and that player hits, right, if that player blows up, then maybe I am actually differentiating myself myself from the other teams who also had third or fourth pick. And I don't think there's a ton of value in that. Like in the end, you still just want to draft the best players for the format. Um, but that that's where the appeal of Turner comes in for me is because I look at those stolen bases and we, and we have to consider that within the frame of this overall contest, right? You cannot punt a category here. Like Joey yeah. Gallo is a severe risk to your team or, or your chances of winning the overall because his batting average is so bad. And yeah, you, you better have Daniel Murphy if you have Joey Gallo. <laughs> right. And so if you can get Trey Turner in the first round and you, yes, you're taking a slight hit in homers and RBI, but the boost that he gives you at stolen bases, which is one of, you know, baseball's scarcest categories or scarcest stats at this point, th- there's value in that, I think. And that's why it was worth it to me to pay up for him at that higher draft cost. And I, and I'm glad I wasn't the only one, you know what I mean? I, I don't want to be yeah. on an Island with that. Yeah. That, that's one of the downsides to, I, I think we may be the fastest draft or the second fastest draft. Uh, you know, last year we were middle of the pack and you're, you know, you're able to pull up Smata's ADP sheet and, and, and just get, you know, a little extra comfort on, uh, on where you're taking a guy. Like, is this guy fallen in, in the experts league that I'm in? Uh, you know, do I want to be the high guy on him? Um, and sometimes that's a good thing. You know, maybe you, you can plant your flag, uh, on, on someone being the high guy, but, um, you know, it's nice to know you're, you're in the, in the sweet spot. Yeah, I'm wondering how much value there is to being contrarian in something like this because we we hear about that often in football with best ball, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in an MFL 10 or whatever you want to find, you know, these underrated players or in, or avoid the overrated ones and I I'm surprised we don't see more of that like really divergent sort of strategy stuff going yeah. on here at least not in my league I'm not seeing it where somebody not, doesn't yeah, take many. a pitcher for the first however many rounds actually I say that. I think that is something Dalton Del Don has done from the 14th slot. Yeah, he doesn't have a pitcher yet as of the seventh round. So, oh, um, interesting. But, I mean, that's one 
like type of strategy like that that I that I'm talking about, and I, I'm surprised that we haven't seen more of that or, or heard more people talking about it. But maybe that's because they're trying to keep it on the down low. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, we had somebody do it in, in our league last year where he he was heavily reliant on closers um, for his pitching. Uh, it didn't really work out for him. You know, you can do it to win a league, like you said. But uh, as Sammy Reed put it yesterday to to me on the pod, uh, you know, do you remember who was second in TGFBI last year? <laughs> Probably not. But you remember Clay Link won it. So, <laughs> yeah, man. And I I do think that closer is one of those positions that we have to kind of figure out in that regard like Mm -hmm. you either have to pay up all the way or pay down all the way i don't think there's really a great middle ground in something like this and it it seems like either strategy could work and and we'll talk more about relief pitchers coming up but uh just in general um a few other surprises for me in this format uh the couple spots where i saw people tweeting about mike trout not going first in every draft do you think people are being too cute when they don't take him there I say this every season. There's a reason it's Mike Trout and and a new challenger every year to the top overall pick. He's just there every season, and you know he's had some injury and, and a couple different things where he's not been the number one player at the end of the season. But uh, the value that he brings with his floor is just you just can't pass that up. And he's going to have that that all time great season somewhere here. You figure in the next you know, three years, let's say, uh, where he, he does something that we maybe have never seen before from a, a homers and steals perspective. Um, but, you know, bets is fine, but for me, it's always going to be Mike Trout. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I don't want to belabor it, but I, I think that it's probably incorrect to not just take him first. Um, a few other surprises from my league in particular, Javier Baez went in the first round, 14th overall. That was uh, a Dalton Del Don pick. That mm-hmm. seems a little too early to me. What do you think about that one? You know, my guess is he had an idea on how he wanted to build his team, um, and, and Baez fits that profile uh, pretty well. Um, you know, it, it's it's hard to do with with a guy who who's got some of the warts he does. But I mean, if he if he puts up steals and home runs again like he did, um, same thing with Trevor Story. Uh, Trevor Story went in the in the went 14th in our league. Um, you know, if he if he steals bases while hitting as many home runs, he's definitely a first-round value. Yep, Story went two picks later, actually. He went at the turn uh, to Seth Klein, uh, Jacob deGrom, and Trevor Story. And I, I love Story. I, I I would take Story ahead of Baez, I think. So maybe that's yeah. why I'm... And, I mean, this was before Manny Machado got picked. I And Alex Bregman. Like, I would just rather have, I think, all three of those shortstops than Baez. But I guess Baez, you get a little bit more position flexibility, uh, and maybe that matters to Dalton. I'm not sure. Um, we'll have to see how the rest of his draft plays out. Uh, I mentioned yeah, this... our, our league wasn't the only one that Machado fell in. Uh, he, he's uh, for some reason, I, you know, he had just signed with San Diego. I guess people don't love it, but uh, you know that park doesn't hurt him as much as most people think. It's not the pitcher's haven it used to be. And I don't think that lineup is as bad as people think it is either. Like Will Myers is solid. Eric Hosmer is kind of yeah. people hate the contract, but I mean he's a fine hitter. Like. I, I don't yeah, know if he can I, hit number five for them, then, you know, that, that's I, where they should have. I think Manny Machado still deserves to be in the first round. I, I'm a little surprised that he's falling as far as he is. Uh, I mean, even behind Bryce Harper, who doesn't have a team yet, like right. th- there's some interesting choices being made. Um, yeah, I was pretty shocked to see his name there when I came up. When did uh, the first catcher go? Did you was Real Muto when yep. you picked him the first catcher off the board? Yeah, I broke the seal on it, and I've been struggling with catcher, uh, you know, through mocks and things, and 
I don't play a lot of two catcher leagues. It's just I don't like two catcher leagues at all. I don't think it's a smart thing to do. It'd be like playing in a three tight end league for some reason. Um, totally I'm sure it, it, it like it makes it a different landscape, and you know you do need to compete. But like we're allowed to make up the rules of this game that we're playing. It doesn't have to be you know <laughs> it's always been two catchers, so you have gotta have two catchers. Um, but you know that that said, it's a it's a pretty barren uh, landscape, and I was. You know, thinking like uh, in the tenth, eleventh round, there's guys I like, but um, you know, when, when my pick came up, um, I didn't like any of the pitchers. I, you know, I, I still needed a, a an SP one. Strasburg was really the only guy to consider, and I'm not a Strasburg guy, so I said, you know, let me let me solve my catcher problem and get a guy who's got a little upside now that he's in in Philadelphia in a hitter's park and, and probably in a much better lineup, uh, especially if Harper does sign there. Yeah, I think the fourth round is probably where I would expect to see those top two catchers go and Gary Sanchez did go later in the round for you but in my draft Sanchez went at the end of the third like right right at the turn there and I thought that was a little steep for for my preferences and and again like this is kind of just showing my own bias and that's why it's surprising to me is because I would never even consider a catcher with my third fourth turn picks I just Mm -hmm. there are too many other like really good players available like his other pick was Cody Bellinger and I, I think that's a fine spot to get him but Here's some of the other f- guys that he passed on to take Sanchez. Uh, just the next handful of picks. It was Xander Bogarts, Reese Hoskins, Anthony Rendon, James Paxton, Patrick Corbin, George Springer, uh, the aforementioned Strasburg. I don't think I'm taking Sanchez over any of those guys. <laughs> yes, Sanchez is you know interesting. It's his projections have such you know a high home run total, and if he hits that, then he absolutely is a, a monster value in a two catcher league. But uh, it's a big if. That's that's why I want Real Muto. I feel like, I mean, he's probably not going to break 30 home runs, but in this park, he can approach you know the, the upper 20s um, and, and throw in a handful of steals maybe and, and have really good counting stats. So um, if Gary Sanchez gets hurt, then Real Muto is like a huge value in, in this landscape. So what else is sticking out to you uh, in TG? FBI. I'm going to continue to screw up that acronym every time. I always want to do the F first for some reason, but yeah, it's you can call it the Invitational. That's uh, that's what I do when I'm struggling with the acronym. Oh, beautiful, the Invitational. I love that. Thank you. Uh, so, what else is standing out to you in the Invitational? Uh, yeah, pitching's very expensive, and that's an NFBC thing. Uh, you know, in general, you're you're trying to compete for the overall. My my goal was to not uh, let myself do what I'm doing and and wait on pitching again because it didn't work out for me last year. Um, but uh, the hitting's just been too good to pass up for me. No, I'm I'm in the same boat, and I actually that third round pick was kind of the the clincher for me, where it really it really came down to Anthony Rizzo versus Carlos Carrasco. Those are the only two guys I was weighing, and I looked at this is one instance where I just looked at what type of player was going to be available to me at my next pick, and if I if I take Rizzo, like what's the level of hitter that's going to make it back to me in the fourth and fifth? And if I take Carrasco, um, what's the level of, or I guess vice versa. If I take Rizzo, what's the pitcher that's going to get back to me? If I take Carrasco, what's the the hitter that's going to get back to me? And that drop-off at hitting, like after the, I think it is like right around the third round is where it starts to feel a little thin. Rizzo, Juan Soto, Starling Marte, like that kind of tier of offensive player. Um, those are the last few guys for me that like really stood out and there are also some other guys in the middle. Like I mentioned Hoskins and Rendon and Bellinger and Bogarts. Like I just knew those guys weren't going to make it back. So they didn't really enter in my calculus at all, but I just felt like the pitcher that I could get back in the fourth and fifth round was going to be 
like closer to Carrasco potentially than any hitter was going to be to Anthony Rizzo. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. I, but I, I still wonder if that was incorrect. You know what I mean? Like just because pitching is so important in this format, I I'm starting to regret not taking Carrasco there, especially because the other guy I like who I mentioned at first base earlier, Jose Abreu was there for me in the fourth and the fifth. And so I could Mm -hmm. have ended up with Carrasco and Abreu potentially instead of Rizzo and Mike Clevenger or Rizzo and Jack Flaherty. Like, I don't, I don't know what's better there, but like my, my baseline strategy, and this has served me well for many years playing fantasy baseball is to, you know, lock up hitting early and then worry about pitching later. And I just, maybe I don't have it, my, my settings calibrated correctly yet it's it's definitely a trip being in a draft like this because yeah it, th- this is also just in, indicative of fantasy baseball in general right now right like pitching is more yeah. scarce than it's ever been in terms of those guys who can really eat innings yeah i actually like that a lot uh with, with clevenger there uh I, I think he's he might even have a slight you know step up here uh, again you know he took a pretty big step last year so you, you can't expect too much uh more out of him but um I think you got a really dependable arm there, and and uh, I don't mind that at all. I'd rather have what the the, the Rizzo Clevenger combo that you have than uh, Carrasco Abreu, to be honest. I mean, that makes me feel better. Thanks, Mike. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and that's the thing is like I'm not too worried about it yet because I I like Flaherty enough. I like my Clevenger enough. I think that those are I got them in reasonable spots. Like I don't feel like I overpaid for them. I'm just yeah, I don't know. Like Carrasco is like you talked about earlier, kind of the last guy in a tier left. And I always want to be pulling those types of players if I can. And so I still have a little bit of buyer's remorse, even though I really love Rizzo with the value I got him. And like I said, I just, I don't get it. That was really what it came down to to me is like, I looked at Rizzo's stats versus where I was drafting him relative to the other, you know, players at his position. And it didn't make sense. I'm like this, if it doesn't make sense, I might as well just pick him because then I, feel like i'm getting a real value you know what i mean yeah and then the other thing i've noticed is that uh, speed is is definitely pushed up uh and i think that's going to be something that carries over to most leagues you're seeing uh merrifield and, and mondesi be be third round picks and uh even the, the max on merrifield is is uh or the min on merrifield is 15th so he, he went technically you know at the end of the first round start of the second so that is one part of your draft where you haven't I mean, you have some guys who are going to steal some bases, but Acuna is yeah, probably your top, guy yet, top stolen base guy. What's your approach to that going forward? Like, are you looking to get like a speedster type at some point? Or are you going to keep trying to stack up like nickel and dime type, you know, five to 10 steal guys? Like, what's your approach to stolen bases? Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the roadmap for me is to just continue to build a foundation and, and late in the draft. You know, there's specialists available, uh, so hopefully I've I've built up enough of a of a lead in in average and uh, you know home runs RBIs to be able to take that guy who has a shot at 30 steals. Yeah, I mean that was one of the reasons that Trey Turner was so important to me at the top of the draft because I felt like after that I I just wanted that one baseline guy who is isn't going to kill me in homers like most of the you know super speedster types will and. From there, like I've I've really haven't spent a whole lot on steals. I've just been getting like these f- five to ten steel guys, and I think from my perspective, and this is again kind of a an overarching theme for me this fantasy baseball season. I feel like people are kind of shortchanging runs and RBI in terms of how they value players. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to talk about twenty twenty or fifteen thirty or thirty fifteen or forty ten or whatever. It's all about homers and stolen bases. And 
I worry that like a lot of, I mean, and this probably isn't going to happen here in, in the Invitational, but in your home leagues, it's easy to get sucked in by a home run total or a stolen base total and not look at what you're losing in the run and RBI categories. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that was another like kind of goal of mine with my draft was to, again, draft for balance, get the guys who are going to chip in in both those categories and hopefully not be a detriment in either homers or steals. So like, hence Chris Bryant, hence Anthony Rizzo, hence Eddie Rosario. Like these are guys who you can kind of pencil in for 85 to 90 plus runs and, and RBI. Hopefully we'll see how it goes. Right. Yeah. And, and like I said, have, having Rudy's sheet in front of me is so helpful. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just lucky Rudy uh, uh, hooked me up with it because you can see, you know, this guy's going to drain, you know, three, four, five dollars out of your category X. And, you know, that's that's a guy you probably should be at least passing on uh, if, if you have an option that, that doesn't do that. Does his sheet live update based upon who's been drafted? Do you enter in like the results? Yeah, or is you it, have to th- manually do it, but uh, it, it's pretty uh, user friendly. That's awesome. Yeah, listeners should check that out over at Razzball. Um, let's see. Uh, any other parting shots here before we go? Um, you get you get sniped at all? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I've seen a lot of people getting sniped on Twitter. Um, I actually wanted to talk to you about that because you're, you're a nice, like, pretty even keel guy, Greg. So I figure you're, you're a good person to have this conversation with. Um, we're using the word sniped too much. It's reached uh, 20, 2017 sleeper levels where, you know, everyone was a sleeper. Um, you can't get sniped if, it, you know, you're in the first 50 picks of a draft. Like, that's you're, – you're in an experts league, you know. Uh, you're not getting sniped. If you're going to go, let's say, two rounds early on a player, um, say you were planning to go, you know, Vlad Guerrero Jr. in the second and somebody beat you to him in the second round, that's a snipe. Um, you know, if you're going Joey Gallo at pick 50 uh, and, and somebody beats you to him, that's a snipe. Um so let's let's reel in the use of snipe uh, in terms of of getting a pick stolen from you because if if they're falling in ADP roughly, um, I really don't think you're getting sniped. So I don't know how you feel about that. No, I actually have an even more stringent definition of it. Like I don't think you can get sniped by someone who's like ten spots away from you in the draft either. Like yeah. if if unless it's getting like within unless your queue is getting plucked from like one two three people ahead of you, you know. That's that's a snipe to me. If the guy right before you or gal right before you takes the player you were going to take, that's getting sniped in my mind. And it's less about like the overall value of the player. It's more about just like pinpoint accuracy in cutting me off to what I want. You know what I mean? Right. And, and it's even got to be like, you know, you had, uh, uh, you know, it's it's the fifth round and, and you've got Gary Sanchez left and the next catcher is you know, Tucker Barnhart. You know, it's like it's got to be a really big trade off, too. Yeah, definitely. I, I any, or anything that's just like so tilting. I guess I think that's really what it is. Is people love to tilt and yeah, like with that in mind, like they just want to complain when the player that they wanted didn't make it to them. Um, right. Now, so in the in the actual sense of getting sniped, did that happen to you at all in your draft? Uh, I wouldn't say sniped because we're we're using a more stringent definition. Uh, <laughs> there there are definitely some players that I were was expecting to to possibly make it back to me that that did not. Um, one that comes to mind is uh, Victor Robles. Uh, Walter McMichael grabbed him uh, in the sixth round. Um, you know, I was I was hoping to actually get him in uh, you know the seventh round. Uh, I would have had to have passed on him once, so that was maybe not uh, the most realistic expectation, but. Um, you know, uh, uh, Walter's not shy about uh, moving his guys up the board. Um, 
So uh, he did that with Robles. He did that with Puig, uh, guys he has high values on. So he's going and getting them. Um, so th- there's definitely those guys out there in these kind of drafts. So you ended up taking Eddie Rosario in that round, and I was looking at the same two players in the sixth. Uh, and let's see, who took Victor Robles? Uh, Bubba took uh, Robles. Yeah, Bubba's a Robles guy. Yeah, two picks ahead of me, and it made my decision easy, right? At that point, I was like, okay, yeah. well, then I'll just take Rosario. But I, I was having a hard time weighing the two against each other because it's that you know power speed versus speed power. How do you how do you compare those two guys? And you said you wanted to try to get Robles in the seventh, would you have still taken Rosario over him there in the sixth? Yeah, probably. I, I think, you know, Rosario's a little bit safer. Um, Robles is obviously a top prospect and he's got a great profile. Um, but, you know, he's still going to be playing his first full season. Uh, they've, they've got four outfielders. Uh, you know, I, I, he should man center field, but they like Adam Eaton for some reason. Uh, you know, I don't know what the, what exactly I like Eaton too, but not more than Robles uh, if I had them. Um, so, you know, that, that kind of knocks him down just a slight peg for me. Yeah, I, I was only considering Robles over Rosario, mostly for what we talked about earlier with steals, yeah, where speed, yeah. I just wanted one more guy to kind of really lay that foundation of speed. I, I was a little hesitant to draft two speedy guys from the same team, like uh, you yeah. know, with Trey Turner and Robles together was a little concerning to me i usually don't worry too much about that um but i i don't know like sometimes those like the guys you want to run aren't running because of where they're batting in the order and those two seem so tied together that that there could be problems there and i don't know maybe that's something that i'll end up doing robles in the long run or not we'll we'll find out um let's talk relief pitchers man this is the tgfbi has got a long ways to go we'll be talking about that on twitter and in other pods and whatnot for some time to come here so i want to get some more just kind of baseline strategy for a specific position and i think that how relievers are now being used is one of the most important trends for fantasy baseball players to pay attention to because we have more closers by committee we have more openers instead of starters we have extra emphasis on deeper bullpens in general i think at the major league level to play matchups and to reduce pitch counts the position is changing and that has changed how we have to approach it in fantasy do you agree yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, the, the save is kind of an arbitrary stat that, that is a bit of a relic at this point. Totally. And we talked, or I talked with Sammy Reed a couple shows ago about having saves plus holds be a category. I think for him specifically, it was net saves plus holds. And I'm curious where you fall on this spectrum. Uh, saves, saves plus holds, or saves and holds as separate individual categories. There was a really good article by Alex Fast at Pitcher List. I tweeted it out a few days ago. Uh, he basically t- titled it, We're Drafting Saves Wrong. And I'm not going to get into the minutia of the article, but a lot of really good stats about how usage of relievers has really changed over the past couple of years. And so I think that that should inform how we structure our leagues how we you know set up the stats and yeah like we talked about catchers like we we create the rules of this game you know you you don't have to stay with saves if it's what you used last year so what are you doing with to make relievers relevant i guess or more relevant in fantasy what category do you prefer yeah getting holds in there somehow is pretty pretty much the way to go in my opinion uh saves plus holds is a good one in in a little bit more of a a casual league like in my home league we did that uh, i believe two seasons ago um just because you know we're all sick of having to like keep your phone near you uh you know and and (laughs) and rush to the wire to grab anytime any closer got hurt um 
just because you know Fernando Rodney carried value when he when he got saves, even though he gave you, you know, garbage other stats. Um, so we decided to just make it saves plus holds, and uh, that that allowed guys like Andrew Miller, Dylan Batances to become you know pretty crucial players. Um, you know, even even guys that rack up holds at a good rate are not going to match the top five guys in saves. So you still get a little bit of value for those elite closers, um, and uh, you know that the, the the, the guys who are elite middle, well, late relievers that don't close, um, you know, they get some some value uh, into a draft as well, and it's it, it just widens up the player pool. So, um, you know, some people don't don't like adding holds in because they they don't think they're quite as important as a save. Uh, in the friends with fantasy benefits uh, thirty team dynasty we drafted this off season, we went with saves times two plus holds. Um, so basically, a save is worth double what a hold is. That's a good compromise for people who are kind of still holding on to the value of a save. Um, well, and you can yeah. tweak that in any number of ways. It doesn't have to be times two. It can be times 1.5 or 1.2. I mean, again, right. this is our sandbox. We can build whatever type of castle we want, right? Correct, correct, yep. Um, you know, the, the individual categories, I think that's probably a little too far. Uh, you know, now, now you're trying to keep one guy who's just a closer and one guy who's just a uh, <laughs> a late reliever, but... Um, I've played in leagues like that, and it's awful. No, no, thank you. Never again. Uh, yeah. hold, holds as a standalone category is is not good. Like, do you think there's a way we can meet in the middle here? Like, just some new stat that would cover both saves and holds without being, you know, an actual uh, an amalgamation of the two in saves plus holds or saves times two plus holds. Like, is there a simpler, like, cleaner way that we could be doing this? You know, there's there's a thing I really like that uh, actually came from Ryan Madsen, the the relief pitcher uh, last All Star break. Somebody asked him and said, you know, what what do you think about the value of a save and a hold in fantasy baseball? And uh, he actually put out there he would like to see us track scoreless appearances. Um, and you know, it, that's like a really nice clean stat uh, to keep because. You know, when you come in as a reliever, your job is generally to get three outs. And, and if you do that without giving up any runs, um, you can't do your job any better than that. But what about a guy who just comes in for one out? Does he still get a scoreless appearance if he gets that one out and gets yanked? Right, yeah. I think you'd have to probably have some kind of qualifier um, to, to, to equal an appearance. Uh, you know, maybe three outs um, would be the the, uh, the the threshold there. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you could also give, you know, scoreless appearance based upon how long it goes, right? Like, yeah, half a scoreless appearance. <laughs> totally. Like, if you go one or two thirds innings, you just get 0.5 instead of the full one or something like that. But I don't know. Like, I talked about this with Sammy. Like, I, I worry that maybe at that point we're just overlapping with ERA a little bit too much. I'm not sure. There right. might be something there, though. I, I like this idea. We, we just got to hash it out the podcast probably isn't the best place to do that so <laughs> let's talk about uh closers and where we're going to draft them specifically in fantasy baseball are you aiming for specific guys or specific tiers of guys when you go into a draft like what what's your approach to the closer position yeah i mean i have some some favorites but generally it's it's tiers um that, that's kind of how i like to approach everything is you know uh are these guys roughly equal um you know kimbrell jansen uh, Diaz, Trinan, and maybe Chapman, if you want to throw them in there. Like, if I can get one of those guys and, and I feel like I need an elite closer, um, I'd be just as happy, you know, with probably any of them. Obviously, Diaz is, is the, the guy on the top of everyone's ranks, and rightfully so, but 
um, you know, if, if I can, if I can keep that in mind as you start to see those go off the board and in a 15 teamer like TGFBI, it's a little harder, but in, in your standard 10 or 12 team league, uh, you can pay a little bit better attention to runs, um, and even start runs for yourself. Uh, you know, if, if you're at the end of a tier, you could grab, you know, uh, Chapman and then say Jose Leclerc, uh, and, you know, keep that closer run right on rolling. What are you doing with Craig Kimball right now? Do you have any speculation on where he'll sign? Like, cause he's been one of the more challenging players for me to have yeah. to think about where to draft him this early because we don't have any context for him yet. Yeah, man, I don't, and I hate it. Uh, it's the just, worst. <laughs> just remembering Greg Holland last year, it was like, he's going to sign before opening day. Like, it would be stupid not to. And um, it really just threw off his whole season, and he was not effective. I don't know if, how much that played into it, but, um, you know, it's not going to be the Red Sox, it doesn't sound like. They they don't want to cross the uh, the luxury tax threshold. And uh, Philly's mentioned his name, but I don't see how they could sign Harper and, and then Kimbrell. It's just not a good investment either. Um, Atlanta is one that would really make sense because they've got two guys that can close, but are probably better eighth inning guys and, and more you know the fireman role uh, in uh, Aradis Vizcaino and AJ Minter. Um, so if they added Kimbrel back in, I think that would be a great fit for them. But they're they're not a team that likes to spend money. Um, so yeah, no no good answer for you there, Greg. Where do you have him ranked right now at Rasball? I mean, you have to put him somewhere, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I actually left him out of the the rankings I did because he doesn't have a team. Um, Good for you, was... man. Screw you, Craig Kimbrell. <laughs> yeah, I, I think his manager uh, or his agent probably went in and, and showed him, like, you know, uh, uh, Rotowan's rankings. You're, you're completely left off. we got to find a team for you. <laughs> I, I just updated my relief pitcher rankings today, and I'm these are always a work in progress, but I put them down at 13, which f- feels like it's either way too low or way too high, and I have no idea. I just I, There's no clue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably go something like uh, Diaz, Trinan, uh, Jansen, Osuna, and then maybe Kimbrell. Yeah, I, I just I can't draft him ahead of guys who I know are at least pretty damn good. I mean, the guys you listed, but throw in Sean Doolittle, throw in Brad Hand, throw yeah. in Felipe Vasquez, like even like Jose Alvarado, Kirby Yates. I I want those guys now because I know that right. they, they have jobs. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, if Kimbrell misses, you know, say he signs the day before the season, it's going to take him two weeks to, to probably make an appearance. And that's not, you know, the end of the world, but for a closer, like if that takes him down from 35 saves to 30, that that's kind of critical for a guy you, you're paying a premium for. Well, and I just don't know what the effects of missing all that prep time are. You know what I mean? Like if he comes back and uses those first two weeks as like an effective spring training or whatever, right? that's still not quite ideal compared to like what everybody else is doing and like where the other pitchers are like he could come back and be not quite as effective or he could come back and get hurt because he didn't have a proper you know training routine through the spring like i don't i don't know he's got a lot of miles on that shoulder too so right with you know some health concerns like in his in his past so like i i don't know i'm just i think i'm out i'm not gonna own him anywhere like he was drafted really early in my tgfbi league i was surprised that he went ahead of some of those other guys we were talking about like he went ahead of uh, Jansen, I think, which, I mean, Jansen has yeah. his own set of concerns, I suppose, but th- that just seems wrong to me because at least Jansen's on a team, right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I popped Kimberl on a bunch of mocks, uh, but when, when it came to the real thing, I, I was definitely uh, moving him down. So 
where do you target closers relative to your other drafted positions, Mike? Like, do you tell yourself, I usually draft my first closer after I have, you know, say two starters, or I want to make sure that I have like at least four hitters before I even think about drafting a closer. Do you ever think about the relief pitcher position in that sort of, in that sort of context? Yeah, I generally like to, to fade it. Um, it's just it, you're getting so little out of out of a closer. You know, they they affect your ratios and your strikeouts much less than a starter. So you know, starters have to be your priority. Um, and same thing with, with hitters; they're they're playing every day. Uh, you know, there's there's times where your your closer gets one or two appearances a week. Um, so just from a, an overall contribution. Uh, if they aren't, if they don't have an Edwin Diaz style season, uh, it, you know, they they really don't contribute uh, enough to be really a top ten pick. Right. Well, and Edwin Diaz wasn't even drafted as like a top five closer last year. Right. Maybe maybe he was like creeping up to like the edge of that, but he definitely wasn't at the top of people's boards last year. Uh, right. Yeah, Diaz and Trine, and you know, the top two guys, neither of them were were that. You know that expensive. They both had some buzz, especially Trinan. Um, but you know those are those are the guys you want to look for this season. And obviously, you know we don't have a crystal ball. But uh, I'd rather take shots at guys who have good, you know, K per nine. Um, you know, m- maybe uh, some job security issues that, if it just happens for them, um, you've you've got a, a rock solid closer uh, for a discount. So with that in mind, how does your typical relief pitcher strategy? tend to apply like stress to the way you build your roster like do you depend on nailing those late round closers or i mean it sounds like you're not really willing to pay that opportunity cost of drafting the locked in closers early right right yeah i mean it's it's just a shotgun approach for me uh you know if you can grab a couple of guys from the same team you know um if you could grab a couple of the tampa bay rays the Alvarado's the expensive one, but like you could get Diego Castillo or Chaz Rowe for pretty cheap, um, just in case you know through spring training that that job isn't what we thought it was. Yeah, definitely. So, are you more likely to try to handcuff guys together, or are you more likely to try to pick off different you know setup guys from multiple teams? You know what I mean? Like, are, are you because yeah. in football with running backs, I typically find it's better to just take take shots on as many different teams as you can right. and hope that you know some of them work out whereas here this early in the baseball season i think there is a little bit of value of like drafting two guys who are like both in the same nebulous situation but could be closers like josh Hader and Corey Kniebel. like i right. think if you ended up with both those guys you'd probably be happy once the regular season starts because you know which guys get in the saves like maybe that's a bad example because you probably wouldn't want to drop one of them um but you know mm-hmm. some of the you know, less appealing situations on other teams kind of fit that bill, right? Yeah, I mean, unless you have a crazy long bench, uh, you can't really afford to do it maybe more than once. I think the Brewers are a great example. Um, you could put both of those guys into your lineup. You know, Hader is going to give you enough Ks uh, and, and stellar ratios. And, you know, Kniebel, if he's getting the saves, uh, is is doing that part for you. So, um you know, especially if you're a little bit weaker at starting pitcher, that's where you might need to think about uh, a guy who's a, you know, just a late reliever who's who's got those elite ratios and strikeouts. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm actually finding myself more intrigued by that type of pitcher this season just because of, you know, what we talked about earlier. Like the way that relievers are being used is changing before our eyes. And mm-hmm. that gives us a lot of opportunity to find value with these guys who are considered setup men but might still yep. chip in 10 saves or eight saves and give you 
you know, more strikeouts than the average reliever, good ratios. I think there's value in that. If you can apply it correctly, TGFBI probably isn't the right context for that. But if you're in a home league where you don't necessarily have to win every category and you don't necessarily have to win every category by a lot or whatever, like there's something there, I think, like Dylan Batances, Andrew Miller, like those guys are going to be on a few of my teams, uh, you know, outside of the the big, you know, overall tournament setting. But let's yeah. get, oh, go ahead. I'll be honest, outside of Hader and Batances, I would suggest, you know, not to pay for those guys, though, because they always pop out of the woodwork. Like Ryan Presley uh, last year just came out of nowhere for us and, and was a great own. You know, Odovino, Adam Odovino, same thing. Um, so, you know, there's going to be guys who you just, uh, pay attention through like the first month and, and look at somebody who's just got a, a ton of strikeouts and barely any walks, uh, and, and you know, uh, not that many earned runs and, and that's your guy. So I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here, Mike, give me a couple other examples of those guys like that. Uh, you mentioned Presley, you mentioned Ottavino, these mm-hmm. like non-closers who you might target for help with your ratios and, you know, the occasional safe, like what, what other guys are you looking at in that mold? Uh, yeah, so the name I'm most excited about would be Jose Castillo. He's uh, he's got some some nasty stuff um, of the Padres. Uh, you know, he's probably not going to close this season unless they fell out of contention and decided to move some of the guys ahead of him. Um, but you know, he was on my radar last year and, and just not really getting enough innings. He had a little bit of injury in the middle of the year, so uh, didn't quite make it onto too many of my teams. But he's he's bookmarked for sure. Nice. Yeah, that's a name that I was not familiar with until you just said it. So I'm going to have to look into that and maybe uh, see if I can get him on some uh, dynasty or or keeper rosters going forward. Um, But let's get back to some of these closer battles or platoons that we're looking at for 2019. Does any team stand out to you as being, you know, more interesting or more challenging to figure out? Like when you look at these teams like the Giants or the Brewers or maybe the Rays, like what do you expect to happen this year or, or where are you having the hardest time figuring out your expectations? If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the raise is a really tough one. Uh, you know, Alvarado is a lefty and, and that kind of complicates things. And on top of that, the raise may, you know, use the starter, uh, and, and that could take a guy like Diego Castillo out of the saves contention. And although, you know, last year, Romo, uh, for them, Sergio Romo, he started games and finished games. Like, it's it's just such a mixed bag uh, of of track record from the 2018 season that that's going to be a tough one to invest in. I just I don't know though. Like I look at his profile and I kind of don't care that he's a lefty. Like 11.25 K per nine. Yeah, neither do I. And and the Rays are the team that 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 would you know be one of the few that are smart enough to say it doesn't matter if they're lefties or righties. <laughs> but there's still that thing out there where some people just can't get past it as managers. Yeah, I mean, his minor league numbers back it up, too. He had, you know, K per nines of 12 and 11 at multiple stops along the way before he made the majors. The big concern has got to be the walks. His walk rate is up over four per nine mm-hmm. innings, and that's that's pretty bad. We, we don't like that, but um, if you're striking out that many dudes, it doesn't matter, right? Generally speaking, though, in the ninth inning, that tends to catch up to you. Yeah, no no doubt, and I guess that's probably where the primary point of concern is. Um, what about other teams? Like, is, is there a team where you feel like you have it figured out, uh, where maybe you can, you know, drafters who are listening to this can get more value if, by picking the right guy. You know, the giants you mentioned, that's an interesting one because like Will Smith was the guy for them. Um, 
you know, Mark Melanson kind of got back into the, the job a little bit. They would love to be able to like offload some of his contract if anybody was desperate enough and they could showcase him. Um, but Will Smith was just so good. Like if, if you're setting up that bullpen, um, as a manager, the guy you want to depend on is Will Smith. They, they also have Tony Watson in that bullpen as, as another lefty uh, who can, you know, handle the, the left-handed bats uh, in higher leverage situations. So um, you're getting a really big discount on Will Smith. It doesn't come without risk, but, um, you know, he, he was a guy that came up in the Brewers organization and was really, really good, uh, had the Tommy John and uh, came back from it last year and, and was way ahead of schedule. So, you know, if you take that – that year that he had in the lens of coming off a of Tommy John surgery, it's uh, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I, I love him too, and I think that point you made about Tony Watson is great. Like there is some safety there in Will Smith's role as the closer because they have that other lefty they can use in earlier innings. Mm-hmm. The big, like you said, the big concern is whether or not the Giants trade him, and we'll see. Um, but sometimes those are you know the the best values to get early in the draft because even if he does get traded, you get those early season stats from him just the same when he's on the Giants and if he gets traded to a team where he could still be the closer like maybe you don't lose anything maybe a situation gets better even but I mean chances mm-hmm. are if, if a team is trading for Will Smith they're probably okay at the position and, and the fact that he is a lefty in a trade scenario does worry me like I don't know if we could expect him to be the closer wherever he lands you know what I mean right yeah he's he's probably not going to a team to close as a lefty um you know the the Brewers. You're getting a pretty nice discount on on Corey Knebel if uh, if that little blip that that he went through in the middle of the season is behind him. Um, you know, not without risk again. But uh, he was a guy that was being drafted. You know, pretty much where like Blake Trinan is this year. Um, so that's a that's a nice discount if he's that guy uh, and doesn't have that that midseason hiccup. What are you doing with the Seattle Mariners bullpen? Because I look at them signing Hunter Strickland and. I am a San Francisco Giants fan. Like I, I think Hunter Strickland is bad, and I, I don't know why they would want to put him into their closer role. Like I just don't think he can do that job. And so, to me, like I look at a situation like that, and my brain immediately goes like, "Okay, I'm just not going to draft Strickland. I'm going to assume it's going to end up being someone else." And it seems like the best bet besides Strickland on the roster right now is Anthony Swarzak, but he's no great shakes either. I, am I missing anybody? on that team or do you have a read on Strickland versus Swarzak versus I, I don't know anybody else like what, what's your take on that situation uh, yeah I think I'm, I'm there with you I mean uh Strickland's not great but they signed him I, I that kind of means a little bit something to me um you know it's uh, they, they they traded for Swarzak and he was injured last season there's that too um though that doesn't mean as much for a reliever but yeah I, I would probably say like my my read on that bullpen is they want to have just kind of that like dumb rock that's a closer that throws hard and he's our ninth inning guy and that's Strickland and they want uh, Swarzak to be their fireman and, and pitch in the actual leverage situations who you know he's a guy who's done that a little bit um, the the one name I will throw out there and, and this will be in my I'm doing on Razball the a closer dark horse uh, segment uh, each week with with um, every division coming out um and these are names that like disgust people like you you would <laughs> never want to draft them um but uh and i'm gonna butcher his pronunciation because i haven't had to say it this year but uh sam Tua viala um he used to be with the cardinals he's a hard thrower had some injuries um if that bullpen gets cleared out you know say the mariners 
decide just to trade both of those guys because they're out of it, um, which, you know, they've, they've been sending signals this offseason that they're trying to rebuild uh, and, and, you know, relievers are a quick way to help with that. Um, he's a guy that, that with a little bit of seasoning could be an interesting name. Are there any other teams that kind of stand out to you here? I mean, there's still so many different bullpens we could dive into where there are potentially more than one or there's potentially more than one pitcher who's going to get saves for that team. Any Anybody else you want to touch on before we move on? Yeah, you, know, you get the Red Sox gig up for grabs um, with Matt Barnes and Ryan Brazier. Uh, uh, Barnes, the veteran, he's got really good stuff. Uh, Brazier, a little bit younger guy, um, you know, kind of a strikeout uh, guy. Um, you know, uh, the, the best bet's probably the veteran, but until we know, like, I don't know that you want to pay for either guy with a steep price, but like, I definitely want one of those guys on, on a lot of my teams just because if he becomes the guy on, uh, the, you know, a team that may win the most games in baseball, um, that that's a, a definite found value. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to pay a price for either of them. Now they're both effectively free. Like, I think that is a good situation to target because I mean, even if it becomes a committee, like you're getting, you're getting that baked into their price. And if you end up on the guy who ends up getting a full-time role, I mean, that's, yeah, that's a huge value, especially on a team as good as the Red Sox. I'm surprised that they are as cheap as they've been uh, in the the few drafts that I've done so far. So definitely one to keep monitoring. Uh, The last thing I want to touch on with respect to relief pitchers are the long relievers that are available to us. And over the past couple seasons, Brad Peacock has kind of epitomized that, I think, is that guy mm-hmm. who you can count on for good ratios, like a, a handful of strikeouts. Like we talked earlier about how closers don't necessarily impact your strikeouts and ratios that much. A guy like Brad Peacock can, and I'm curious what you do with those types of players, how often you draft them, and are there any guys this season who you're targeting in that mold? Yeah, I mean, take your pick uh, on the Astros. <laughs> you get you get Peacock, McHugh. Um, you know, they, they've got plenty of starting pitchers, young guys that that may end up in that role. Uh, you know, if Josh James uh, struggled out of the gate at all, he could definitely end up there, but but still be a pretty solid strikeout guy. Um, uh, some names that would be interesting to me uh, on the Mets. You've got two guys who were converted starters, and Seth Lugo and Robert Gesellman. Uh, Lugo's probably the more interesting of those two names. Yeah, he was on my list. I think that what goes on in St. Louis is kind of interesting, like Alex Reyes and Carlos Martinez. Now Martinez uh-huh. has the health concerns right now, and that might just make the decision by default. But right. there could be something there with one or both of those guys. I'm curious to see how that plays out. Tyler Chatwood on the Cubs is an interesting one to me. Like, I don't love the skills or anything, but mm-hmm. that's a team that's shown in the past that they're willing to use that type of player pretty regularly. Yeah, the Mike Montgomery role. Exactly. So I think that there's value there, potentially. Uh, some of the relievers in the Yankees, you know, minor league system, we got glimpses of uh, Domingo mm-hmm. Herman last year, Jonathan Loizaga. They stand out to me as, you know, you know, interesting guys to have, but I don't think you have to draft them. You know what I mean? Like, I feel right, like just wait this- to see. Cause they, I mean, they all, that, the team also has Chad green and Tommy Conley, uh, who were standouts in 2017. Like that, that bullpen is crazy. Yeah. One more name I want to throw out at you. Uh, take your temperature. What do you think about Matt Strom on the Padres? Uh, I'm not a been, big I feel like he's been getting a lot of buzz and maybe he has, I'm not a huge Strom guy. Um, you know, again, it's, it's one of those guys like just put them on your watch list uh, if he starts out really hot, you know, lots of strikeouts, no walks, and and is you know helping ratios, um, that's what you're looking for here. So 
you know, th- this guy isn't a guy you're going to draft. You're just going to, you know, keep an eye out in a deeper league where you maybe missed out on a pitching run. Um, you know, you only got two closers and everybody else has three, uh, that kind of thing. The projection systems all have him pegged for like a really nice K per nine, you know, 10 plus kind of across the board. Walk yeah, rate's a little stuff. suspect. Yeah, I mean, walk rate up over 3.3 for the most part in these projections. I'm just looking at fan graphs. Um, but, I mean, it seems like there's a setup there. Now, th- this would also potentially fly in the face of, um, what was the name of that other reliever on the Padres you mentioned earlier? My Jose Castillo. Jose Castillo. So, I mean, I-, I think I would see Strom getting a shot at that closer role before Castillo. Do you agree or disagree with that? I'd probably disagree with that. I think Castillo, uh, he may even be the setup man. He, he's that good. Interesting. Man, i got to get on it with this Castillo guy. Yeah, check him out. I mean, he flew under so many people's radar. He's really young. Um, but, you know, his K per nine was through the roof at different points last season. Yeah, interesting. Um, anyone else you want to talk about in the relief pitcher sphere uh, or just in general, anything else you want to talk about uh, on the fantasy baseball tip here before we sign off? Uh, you know, just one guy that uh, has a really good story that I'm just looking at my list here. Uh, Rich Rodriguez on the Pirates. Um, he was a reclamation project, which, you know, the Pirates are known for with pitching. And uh, he was just mowing batters down last year. Um, probably doesn't figure in for saves, but uh, another guy in the vein we were just talking about. He could really help out with Ks if he if he keeps up the, the pace he did last season. Yeah, they brought in Keone Kella, too. And that's another guy that I like in in, out of the bullpen I, i'm curious i like to see him but he gets hurt every out. year <laughs> <laughs> that's some narrative bullshit mike i'm <laughs> i don't like it I, I hear what you're saying you know it's it, there's no empirical value it's you know the the stanton uh, uh debate is, is giancarlo stanton injury prone well none of his injuries are are a uh, a chronic injury yeah i and i think like with relievers i, I mean with, with pitchers maybe in general there's more to that like especially if the mechanics are such that or the body type is such that, you know, they might just be more actually prone to injury. So maybe that's something I'm missing with Kella, but uh, we'll find out. I'm rooting for him. Like, I, I, I hope. Yeah, I don't have any actual around. insight on that. And I own him in a dynasty, so uh, where we use holds. So I'm, I'm happy with uh, him having a good year. <laughs> <laughs> well, good deal. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, listeners, check out Mike's closer rankings over at Razball. Link to those in the show notes. Uh, that episode I did with Sammy Reed a couple shows ago. I'll link to that as well. Um, and the... Uh, the article at Pitcher List that I touched on briefly before. Um, anything else you want to touch on or plug uh, before we get out of here, Mike? Oh, no, yeah, that's it. Just, uh, you know, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm, I'm always uh, happy to interact if you uh, have questions, things like that. Yep, and his handle is roto underscore Juan, W-A-N. Uh, and we've, we've talked about that on the show before, a little little Star Wars reference. I noticed you updated your uh, your avatar on there, though, a nice smiling photo of yourself. I did, I did. You know, I'm, I'm getting some some more uh, high, not high profile, but at least some more uh, visible gigs in the fantasy world. So uh, I'm I'm classing up the joint uh, little by little. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that, man. I, I haven't changed my avatar in forever. Maybe maybe that'll be something that happens this year. Um, listeners, if you have any questions that you want uh, me to go over on air on a future episode, or if you just generally have feedback for the show, hit me up on Twitter at Greg Sauce. Uh, also, please take the time to rate and review the show. Hit that subscribe button while you're at it. Thank you all for listening. Uh, We'll catch you again next week. Take care.